Yes, I'm here with Ken Sugira. My name's Sam Daniels. We're the authors of Buying Property in the USA, a Foreign Investor's Guide, the only book uh, tailored to foreign investors on uh, buying investment property in the US. How are you? How are you going, Ken? Uh, great, thank you, uh, Sam. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, now today um, we're going to talk about following on from our double, double whammy uh, podcast uh, last time about... Um, going through your first first deal. Now you've got the property, let's assume you bought the property and we're talking about post-purchase priorities. So um, it's an important step which is often overlooked by investors. So, so what's the first thing that you need to do once you've um, taken possession of the property? Okay, well upon closing, um, you will have to have a few things already happening with you. First, you have to have the insurance organized for the property. Yeah. Um, you don't want the house to be burnt or robbed or something, you know, uninsured. So, um, insurance is probably the first uh, thing you need to sort out. And the second issue is, uh, uh, second one you have to sort out is uh, to have a property manager unless you decide to live in America to look after, to self-manage the properties. Of course. Yes, and you also need to make sure that um, that you get receipt of the final closing documents to verify your ownership and make sure that um, eventually your uh, your county or municipality's website reflects you you as the true owner. So this we're not left in any doubt as to who actually owns the place. I mean, sometimes it can be a bit scary to go onto the site and see the previous owner exactly. is, uh, is still holding it, but there are delays as they work their way through the system. In other cases, though, that the um, We'll talk about property management down the track, and um, but so the other thing you need to do is uh, organise um, any rehab that or re rehab the term they use in the US, and nothing to do with Lindsay Lohan or um, Britney Spears, but um, is it just a term analogous to renovation in most other markets? Um, now, what do you want to talk about first? Are we talk probably best to talk about um, insurance? Insurance, yeah. yeah. Okay, so what, what do we generally do about insurance? Insurance, um, you know, if you have only one house, um, you know, really, you know, it's, it's okay to go with anyone pretty much. You just have yeah. one insurance. Um, the, but if you start to have a few properties in, in different states and all that, you want to reduce your admin time as much as possible and then to be efficient. And then I think the, the, the way we started to do it is to consolidate all our insurance needs or as much insurance needs as possible with one insurer. Yeah. Um, or um, you use a different insurance company in different states and so on. That's also possible. Yeah. But I mean, I think the insurance, there's a couple of things that I would be very careful about insurance is that um, in, the, in the current US market, you will be paying, you know, you say you have a $150,000 house, you're buying it, and then and replaceable value, replacement value could be as high as, say, you know, $380,000. Yeah. That happens to me once. And then if you, I mean, how much do you want to insure, really? Do you want to insure yeah. the money you paid for, or do you want to insure the replacement, replaceable, uh, replacement cost, you know? Uh, obviously, if you're insuring 380, and then that's a cost more. But I mean, if the house gets um, burnt down, do you want 380, or do you want just uh, your initial investment back? Yeah, uh, you still having, uh, you still own that land, by the way. 
yeah. after houses that are burned. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's another, you, you know, obviously you want to be, you want to take in consideration the cash flow issue. Mm -hmm. The insurance cost is, is premium is uh, another additional cost issue. And mm -hmm. um, my approach is to standardize as much as possible. You, you have, um, ideally you want to have insure the property just around the, 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 the money you, you know, the price that you paid for, rather than just going all the way to replaceable value. I start to yeah. move away from it as much as possible yeah. to reduce the cost and also put the premium up because, um, you know, again, let's face it, if you start to claim everything, the insurance premium will go up yeah. for you. So oh, you mean put the excess up? Excess up. So, yeah, yeah, I see. Sorry, the excess up as much as possible. So 5,000 or yeah, something like 7, that. 7,000 or something. You don't have to go to your insurer yeah. to pay for all the little things. I have a similar approach. And in the book, we talk, we give you the names of two insurers that we regard as being the best, um, the most competitive. And the reason we give you two is because um, our best one is good nationwide except for in Florida um, because they're, once you add in hurricanes their quotes turn out to be non-competitive so we have to have to split into two whereas our instinct is to consolidate everything with one uh, but I tend to go for no more than double the purchase price um, because I reckon that if you keep the price the um, policy rolling for five years or something before you might look to exit. Maybe the house has doubled in value if you're lucky, um, so you're still kind of covered at, at the real mm. real value. Um, you know, um, and it usually the difference in premium from if you're buying cheap houses like we are from say forty thousand to eighty is not a really big leap. Mm. You know, and if it is, I might come down to sixty. You know, and insure for sixty. But flexibility is the key and simplicity. Um, but yeah, we, if you um, if you're good enough to um, part with your money and buy the book, we'll give you our recommendations on insurers. Now the next thing is um, sometimes we're lucky enough to buy a property that's rent ready. Um, other, uh, <laughs> a bit of a chuckle there from Ken, but um, yeah. it's other times or most of the time there's a little bit of renovation or rehab to be done. Um, so what's the best approach to doing this? I think the rehab, um, you know, ideally the wholesaler or property manager, your property manager, have can organize a rehab for you. So it becomes a kind of a one-stop shop. You don't have to go and I used, I mean, I did in my, you know, in my career, in a property career have done this, you know, independent uh, engagement of uh, different rehabbers to come in and do it and all that. But the coordinating the key access and all that sort of mm. stuff is a real real um, real hassle from from overseas yeah. so I think it was, it's best to best to uh, get the rehab quotes from through a property manager yeah um, and um, and and obviously you know start to uh, execute as fast as possible yes um, you might find the US uh, rehab material costs and also labor costs are relatively competitive yeah if very you come from um, you know, Australia. countries such as Australia, Canada, where Japan. is yeah, a huge uh, increase in costs and material. I think the U.S., for example, Home Depot has standard uh, material yeah. um, that's been used for all the houses and pretty much all the houses. So mm. they, you know, it's a, it's a bit like um, GM and Ford and Toyota sharing the same sort of uh, you know car. Yeah, yeah. So they, they reduce the total cost because it's the volume 
really says something, doesn't it? So um, I've been surprised how cheap everything is, to be honest, in the US in terms yeah. of uh, labor and parts. Labor and the labor again is thanks to, or well, you know, shouldn't be saying thanks, but the, because of the unemployment, yes. there are a lot of people who are available to do all the day job, you know, the, the, the you know. Yeah. Whereas in the boom markets, you know, in Australia, for example, you trades them won't get out of bed for 500 bucks. That's you know? right, yeah. Just to give a rundown there, like some prices which we've sort of dug out, you know, like you can replace a whole floor sometimes in the US for 2000 um, Painting a house can be as little as 2000 um, You know, replacing a roof might only be 3000 3, 5000 So, um, you know, it's a good, good sort of thing to keep an eye on that if the quotes are much above those figures, then mm. you need to be back on ideally you will have sorted this out before you sign the deal but you need to be back onto them saying well hey hang on hope that I'll do this product for X and you're trying to give it to me for Y but the other thing about it is the progress payments would you recommend progress mm. payments for a big job I mean small rehabs different some, again depends on the managers I think some managers request you to pay as much as possible up front but I mean, yeah. you you have incentive to pay as late as possible as investor, so yeah. it's just a you know it's really negotiation too. But some places don't even start the work until you show some sort of a, a face money yeah. in the, in the in the process. So you know sometimes if it's a project is big, you may want to pay half, and then the other half is upon settlement upon the completion. Completion, yeah. But then again, sending back and forth the money in America is not uh, it's not. Uh, really kind to you often so yeah. um, you may want to uh, really think about I mean again if you st start to feel comfortable with the same vendor slash the property manager you may want to trust their uh, you know yeah. uh, stuff and sometimes what I do is that I ask the the minor rehab costs to be deducted from my first rent. Rent checks, so yeah. Rent checks, so that they have to <laughs> find a tenant before they get paid. So that, <laughs> that's yeah. a, a in, in, oh, yeah, yeah, that's... intrinsic incentive for them to work hard. Now, what about moving on to property management? This is one of the most important um, aspects of the whole operation to with these cash flow properties to get the cash flow coming in. So what's important about a proper choosing a property manager? Um, unlike rehab costs that you will be presently surprised, property <laughs> management will be most likely if you come from non-US background, you'll be uh, downwardly surprised or unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah. The quality of property manager, yeah, I must say, is not as high as in any, probably if you rank the competitiveness of the US property management, it's, it's relatively weak. Very weak, well, um, yeah. And then they have an awful habit of uh, relying on this, uh, you know, IT system that um, they they ask you to have access whenever you want to, and um, and check your uh, monthly statement. But you know they don't often update the information every month and pay your rent every month. I mean, what sort of system is that? You know, it's yeah. a, it's a joke. Backward, yeah. Backward, and uh, some property manager even send a check to you by mail because they don't yeah. do direct debits and do direct credits. Uh, online banking, I mean, that's, you know, this is modern days, but, you know, here's a... Well, the big, biggest economy is still operating like that. That's, but then again, if you look at that, um, 
in a different way. That's why the opportunity exists because there's so many, so much inefficiencies exist yes. in the marketplace. And they need to. I mean, that's true. I mean, you're going to get the run across these problems. You know, in some markets, it's just you can't find one that doesn't have a negative about it. But um, word of mouth is important. Um, try and ask other investors in the same market um, that have got properties with other other um, property managers. Also, I think the size is important too. What do you think? You have a pretty firm view about this. Yeah, uh, I don't always go for the biggest players in the market because biggest doesn't always mean best. Uh, because property management, I think, is such a labor-intensive business. Yeah. And uh, so it really depends on the, each property manager mm. uh, to, to be able to manage things if, you know, effectively. And yeah. uh, so the size doesn't really matter in that business, I think. Mm-hmm. But you know, having said that, you don't want to go to the very small guy who cannot even operate as a business, you know. Yes. Um, and also, what I have found over years is that property managers, owner, uh, what sort of background he or she has, someone who has a rehab, you know, rehabber's background, may want to do fix things all the time for you because they make money that way mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily mean that they're very good uh, office manager yeah. <laughs> and the other side you know and then on the other hand they you might find a, a property manager and who comes from a, a strong leasing background so they are very good at finding tenants so quickly because they know that what the tenants are looking for so mm. those property managers often have a higher occupancy of the property. So the first question you may want to ask when you uh, engage a property manager is that what's, you know, out of your portfolio, how many property you manage? Then the second question is that um, what's your uh, vacancy rate yeah. in, in your portfolio? If it's, you know, I met one manager who says uh, my vacancy is 30%. Do you want to engage <laughs> someone like that? I mean, you know, okay, yeah, he is honest, but, you know, look. Um, <laughs> It, it's shocking sometimes some people have come up come up like that you know so we, you, we want to do a lot of due diligence check interview everyone is what we we would say your vendors yeah. property manager like put, yeah. ask them the hard questions hard question and also you want to check the exit close how many days of notice do you have to give this pro- property manager um, you know if it's 30 days is standard so if you can give him a flip for uh, you know after 30 days you can move on to find the next guy it's yeah. better than someone you need to give say six months notice yes you know and then that sort of sunset close you probably have to check of course well. and the fees uh, generally speaking 10% seems to be standard in America hmm. some places do it for like a fixed price like 50 bucks or 75 bucks per month and the other places they might go up to 11 or 12 percent and then then again the more volume business you bring it to the table they might give you a discount. come down mm. yeah the other important thing is i think is screening of tenants especially in markets where the um laws are tenant friendly like yeah. say florida for example um you know, like i've got a property at the moment in florida which is being filled gradually but we're not leaping on the first tenants that apply because if they've got any history of evictions um we don't want them because um, that can cost you two or three months of lost lost revenue. You know, just yeah. trying to get this person out of your house. So, um, in, in that property, I'm prepared to just wait for the right people to come along, and I want my property managers 
detailed screening of all of these tenants. Yeah, Sam, I think that you raise a very important point. I think in case of America, US market, in the current US market, you wouldn't worry too much about vacancies mm. because let's face it, everybody lost their job at their at their houses, yeah. so they they all potential renters yeah. for your house. So I I have I look at my portfolio and then generally speaking, the pure vacancies generally speaking is quite low. It's very low, yeah. But if you include the evictions, the people who move into your <laughs> under your roof but not paying rent, I mean they're the uh, potential risk, and that's the that probably the, the unique risk that a US market yeah. presents at the moment, how you manage the, the delinquencies and the yeah. eviction process. Yeah. Each state, as you said, is different. So you want to, you want the property manager's skills to be able to screen out all those guys who are potentially, you know, uh, giving you a headache later. Yes. Very much so. But that's again million dollars question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might get someone who has a perfect record and yeah. for, for one reason or another is delinquent. Credit check and all that sort of stuff. The other thing is, I mean, it's up to every person's individual judgment, but sometimes you'll get tenants that, you know, will, will fall behind on their rent or whatever and approach you about a, a, a work through. And it's up to you whether you go down that road. But, mm. uh, you know, sometimes it's worth considering, you know, if you want to back the person and, you know, sometimes you get burnt, but other times you won't. I mean, mm. uh, um, have to leave that to your discretion. The other thing we should talk about very briefly is um, Section 8. Um, oh, well, first of all, um, it's almost a given, but you really want your property management to be intimately familiar with the area, and you know, ideally mm. their office will be in the part of yeah. the, the capital city where you're renting. But and, tell us... And the other thing is, Sam, so, so, uh, sorry that, to interrupt, but no, no, no. when you are considering a next property investment, you if your property manager is so good and so locally oriented, you could probably run by the, the potential purchase with him, see what he thinks about the location, how easy it is to find the tenants and so on. So uh, good property right. manager can be your uh, due diligence partner. Of course. For, for the next purchase. So that's... Very good, yeah. That, that's, um, I tend to use property managers for that as well because after all, until yeah, you get ones. cash flow coming, it's not the investment for you. And then um, who, you know, if particularly if you're having a second, if you, it's almost like a second opinion. You can check, yeah. you know, your property purchase with uh, uh, your current property manager, what he or she, she thinks about the area. And if they say, oh, it's going to take me four months to find someone yeah. to rent there, then yeah. all of a sudden... What type of tenants there, you know, those, that sort of house is suited for? You know, I've been once told that two-bedroom house in the area is completely not no because the tenants are often in the area have... Have a kids and you know two kids oh, and schools right. right right next door. You don't want two bedroom house. Yeah, you know go for three or four, which is which is pretty you know um, sensible advice at that times because it's um, you know you have no idea about the location. Now we I want to talk just a little bit about um, we, again we might go over time here, but I think property management is um, important enough topic to do another double whammy um, if you're up for it, Ken. Um, the we want to talk about Section 8. Now, Section 8 is um, a, a scheme in the US um, which is a kind of rental subsidy to tenants who are on um, low income um, for whatever reason. Now, you'll sometimes you'll you'll buy a property and you'll have the option to either rent it out at market rent or you have the option to rent it out to a Section 8 tenant. Now, there's a few a few different things to consider. Um, I think the cash flow, first of all, on the positive side of Section 8, um, is cash flow. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, 
there's a, there are, there's a pros and cons about Section 8 tenants. I mm. think some, if you look, look at um, website like bigger pockets and even mm. local US investors, mm. you know, are divided into favoring Section 8 <laughs> or not. Some people hate Section 8, other people <laughs> love Section 8. I think the first thing you have to think about is that, I mean, from my first perspective, I have a probably three, currently probably four Section 8 tenants, yep. but they're all paying rent, or well, not them, but the Obama is paying rent. Straight to you. Their, that's the advantage yeah, that the rent comes straight to you. That's right. So, you know, as we talked about, uh, the biggest risk in this sector of the market is not the vacancy to me, it's the delinquency. Delinquency, yeah. So the eviction process and all that. So to avoid that one risk by having Obama coming as a layer of the credit yeah. <laughs> to the tenants, I think it's a great, you know, um, so, you know, seeing the ever risk happened to mitigation risk mitigation. In some markets, the Section 8 tenants pay more than market rent. Yeah. And in other markets, I found that Section 8 pays a little bit less. A little bit less, than Section yeah. 8. But even if it's a little bit less, I think the risk, you know, taking out the headache, you know, it's, I think it's worth getting a Section 8. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the other thing is that you probably have trouble turning, turfing them out and putting in someone new if rents suddenly rise or something like that. You, we've got a more long-term commitment, That's but you've right. got much better cash flow because yeah. the government's paying the money straight to you. Yeah. The other consideration, though, is that your property needs to meet the Section 8 inspection, doesn't it? To, that's right. Yeah. To be eligible. Yes, that's right. So the rehab has to be done... You in might, a proper way and in a different way. And in a different way, yeah. yeah. And it meets, it meets the requirements of the, the, the inspection. So and also, also the, the paperwork is a lot more, and then yeah. some property managers will charge you more for the section paperwork, eight. Section 8. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think it's, again, worth the money if it's Definitely. Real. I do too. I, I agree with you. Um, the other thing is that um, it's worth writing into your contract when you buy the place if you, with your vendor if they're doing the rehab that it's to be rehab to section to pass the Section 8 inspection sure. because you, yeah. the last thing you want is the guy saying, I rehabbed it, and the Section 8 inspector saying, well, it doesn't meet code, you need mm. to spend it extra 2000 bucks. That's right. But you don't want that to fall on yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, again, might come back to the other point about Section 8 rent being sometimes higher than the market rent. If you're buying a property with Section 8 tenant already in it, and you also want to check, and then offering, say, 25% yield, and you get excited and, and buy it with a you know, oh, double-checking right. it. And you, you know, once I've been offered such property and I checked the market rent, it was, you know, 30% less than Section 8. Oh, so, you know, right. in case you lose Section 8, you might, you will drop down to, you know, by 30%. So that sort of due diligence, again, is quite important. Too. So that debate is kind of a crazy one, isn't it? It's like saying I prefer Nissan over Toyota or, yeah. you know, uh, but, I mean, we have both in our portfolio. Um, but what, what are some of the disadvantages? You know? I mean, they're not really obvious, are they? Well, again, Other than what you mentioned then. The paperwork and... Yeah. What do the, the Section 8 haters say though, on the forum? What's well, the Section 8 haters, for example, <laughs> to be Section 8 qualified, you have to have sometimes, you know, um, you know, physically disabled or mentally disabled and all that sort of yeah. different categories, not just because yeah. they cannot find a job, you know, uh -huh. they can yeah. be Section 8. So depending on the type of a Section 8, you know, you may be dealing with crazy tenants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in one sense, yeah. yeah. But 
I mean, I've never had a problem with this, really. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, the, in my view, the pros, you know, pluses outweigh negatives, I think, in yeah. Section 8. So, um, you know, if someone said to me, hey, I'll rent out your entire U.S. portfolio with Section 8 tenants, mm-hmm. I'll just put my hand up, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Consistency of yeah, cash flow. Yeah, because then I just don't have to worry about chasing the property managers for checks. Trumps everything. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, the other thing that's worth noting is, we'll just go over a few more coming up towards the end of our time, but um, when you get your property manager, choose your property manager, you need to supply um, a form uh, which is called the WADCI uh, to make sure you don't have 30% of your gross rent deducted. Now, America being America, they'll give you a form called a W-9. Mm, that's for domestic investors, Domestic right? investors, because yeah. they think that that'll apply to foreigners. But trust us, um, it's not the W-9 you need, it's the W-A-D-C-I. Um, yeah. And um, if you have any trouble filling that out, then um, we'll, we, perhaps in the book we might show you how it's supposed to be filled out, or you can always get an, your accountant to help you with it. Um, and what about property managers? So we talked about um, your view and mine that they, they can be the weak link in the chain um, with your in the in terms of U.S. investment. What's a good way to keep keep track keep on their case? And I mean, how do we basically ensure they're doing their job? I think well, every statement I receive, I review it carefully. Even if I have any questions, I'll ask them instantly. And then good property managers respond within the, you know within a day or two or even three. And uh, and if you don't understand it, you ask more questions. Hmm. And I think that way they know you are actually checking the situations. And um, and and if you ever visit the city, um, you are still obviously you would be tempted. You you know you're advised to to see the property manager and then actually go drive to the property together and then inspect the property as as often as possible. Definitely. So I mean. And you can, if you teamed up with, you know, your your friends and, and other investors, you know, they could you could sort of take turns and by having someone always visiting the city and then looking, looking at, at the other people's houses. Yeah, yeah. as you've yeah. done for us in on various trips yeah. to the US. Yeah. Yes, and I think that the fact that um you actually really have a vested interest in your portfolio. You know, rather than just someone foreigner owning a property far away and then just yeah. not saying anything all the time, it's just it makes a huge difference. Yes, to be an active active manager mm. of your investment. The other thing we'll talk briefly about before we finish is um, taxes. Now you're you'll know what the ta- applicable taxes are on the property when you buy it, um, and usually the HUD settlement form will show will apportion the, the tax chunk before you buy to the to the seller and the tax portion of the year after you buy to you usually that's factored into the final purchase price um, but after that you need to um, uh, basically make sure that the, the county has your correct or county or city has your correct address so they send you the tax bill yeah and it's a good idea to jump on their website and make sure they've got your correct address and you logged as the owner so that you get your tax bill because you you want to pay that on time if you can and um, so you don't sort of fall into tax delinquency. That's uh, right, and they take possession of your property and sell off <laughs> the folk, as a folk of the properties. In a few to some other investor. <laughs> some other investors you could be buying again. Um, yes, uh, I think it's, it's important to get on to the county data 
as soon as you uh, close the deal and then, as you said uh, it may take a few months some in markets sometimes you know lots of time but you keep chasing it make sure that uh, you know your names or your LLC names appears correctly and with the correct address so that they will send you the bill for the property tax each time yeah. that comes up for you but but even if that doesn't happen, I think you want to make a habit of checking online, the, checking the county uh, database mm -hmm. uh, online every, say, six months. I tend to do it the uh, November, December, usually, yeah. end of the year. And then again in, uh, in the summertime, like July, August, or maybe June, to check if there's anything outstanding yes. to paid. Uh, most county uh, allow you to pay uh, online anyway, so you don't have to send a check yeah. to the U.S. Um, and you will be surprised to see the property tax is relatively high mm. in the U.S. too for for what it is in terms of uh, <laughs> property. So um, especially Detroit, um, Detroit, that's worth yeah. mentioning to investors in thinking about doing Detroit. That the yeah. tax is very, very high. Very high. Yes. The yields are high, but so too are the taxes. That's right. So net yield is important always. Yes. And our properties in Detroit. One, th one thing we noticed was that when it goes from the owner to an investor, they apply a different mm -hmm. kind of millage rate, and yeah. which has seen the tax Increase. bill jump even more. And a lot of municipalities in the US are obviously struggling financially, so you can expect taxes to keep on rising. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a deal breaker, but it's just something to be aware of. And there are companies that, if you think your property is really overtaxed due to a deficient assessment by the county, you can contest it mm -hmm. if you want. But um, so far, mine haven't risen to an extent where that's been brought into play but mm. it's something worth considering in the future i think that's that's a fair point um tax is important equation in uh, in your uh, financials so um, you want to pay close attention to the, the the price change every year and again you know if the property tax is going up that means your value of the the value of your property usually is going up which is also good news <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. so you want to check uh, you know if that's basically the change is due to the valuation yeah. which is fine but if it's the valuation same and the property tax is going up that what's going on you better you want to find out what why the <laughs> I think your count is you know maybe they're employing 20 more county members or something too. Yeah, yeah, or the mayor's built a thing-round pool on somebody's house, yeah. So, yeah, the, again, pay attention to tax, I think. Yeah. yeah, and I think the typical level of taxes, I mean, it varies heavily from state to state, but Atlanta has always sort of come back to that as an example of being the sort of average of all the markets yeah. we're looking at. And it's probably like you buy a house for 50000 or forty five or whatever and your tax might be 500 or yeah. 600 or something. Is that... I think so, yeah. It's about ballpark. Yeah. Yeah, and as the value goes, that's that's on a fairly low valuation mm. though. As the value goes up, you might find that that... Mm. I think so far in the last couple of years, we have seen the value valuations coming down, so that's why property tax has come down. Yeah. And then you're buying a property at such a cheap price, you you know you get the, you know numbers working. But as we start to hit the bottom now, and it start to go, the value goes up, and property tax will start to increase. So, again, you really need to watch the numbers. I think.
Definitely. All right, look, I hope that's been a useful overview for people. And as always, there's um, much more information in the book itself. And if you're interested in buying that, um, you can go, the best way to do so is to go to www.buyingpropertyintheusa.com. Um, follow the links and you can buy it. So thanks again, Ken. A lot of interesting information in another double header podcast. I think you've um, got a few more to go. There's a few interesting aspects to cover that we'll be able, hopefully be able to do that in a single edition podcast from now on in. But thank you very much for your time and I'll see you next time. Thank you, Sam. Thank you.